Well, let's go ahead and just turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, we are going to spend our evening in Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 31. And as you get there, you'll quickly see this is the story of the rich young man, or other gospels put it, the rich young ruler. Uh, and we will spend our time there. But when we think about uh, engaging in effective and fruitful discipleship, there's really three things that must happen in order for us to engage in effective and fruitful discipleship. And we must understand these three things. We must understand that there is a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to discipleship. All effective discipleship will cost you something. Um, And the second thing you need to understand is that there are rewards to discipleship. There are rewards that we will get both in this life and for eternity. And then the last thing that we need to understand is there's a mindset that's required for discipleship. And that mindset, uh, which we'll see here in a little bit, is required all throughout the rest of our life in order for us to engage in discipleship. Because if we don't understand those three things, that there's a cost, there's rewards, and there's a mindset that we must have, then we can be motivated while we're sitting here talking about it, but that flame will soon die out by the time we hit the door, by the time we hit our home and all throughout the week, it'll just die out. But if we have these three things right, understanding the cost, the rewards, and the mindset that we should have, then that allows us to constantly be thinking about and constantly be um, excited about and engaged with discipleship. And so our passage today, as we look at the, the rich young man, helps us understand what those three things are. And it helps us uh, just foster that, that lifelong engagement with that teaching and learning that I spoke about last week. Teaching, learning, teaching, learning, teaching, learning. We'll always have that at the forefront of our minds if we have a great understanding of the cost, the rewards, and the mindset that we need to have with discipleship. And so our passage tells us that, so let's dive into it so we can understand what those three truths are that we need to have and understand in order to be effective at discipleship. Starting in verse 17, chapter 10, says this, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. And asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So already we see this rich young man, he, he sees Jesus as an authority figure. He's running up to him, right? He's running up to him and he's kneeling down before him. And he asked him the most important question that any of us could ever ask is, what do we do about eternal life? What do we do to inherit eternal life? It's the single most important question that any person walking the, fa- walking the face of this earth needs to understand and needs to grapple with. What do we do to eternal life? to inherit eternal life. 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, as he was a Jewish person. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these, all of these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Jesus knew exactly the one thing already without even knowing too much detail about the guy. He knew the one thing that was standing between him and total submission to Jesus Christ. That was his wealth. And Jesus called it out. And some people might look at this, this, this passage and say, oh, it's harsh, man, sell everything. But you have to understand who said it. Jesus was somebody that sacrificed far more than we could ever imagine. So if anybody had authority to tell him and to tell us, 
to sell everything and follow me. Jesus can do that. But then what did the rich young man do? Verse 22, it says he was disheartened by the saying, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So he's saying it's it's impossible, right? It's impossible. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Peter began saying to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. So we'll take a, a little interesting teaching or study through this passage. Normally we'll go through, of course, verse by verse, but I want to take this passage holistically, and I want to pull out three truths, three principles that we see in this passage that help us understand those three things that I mentioned about having effective discipleship and always being engaged in it. And we can see these right here, because as we look at in relation to following Jesus, as this passage is talking about the rich man and his possessions and what it means to follow Jesus, if we go back to last week, we know that following Jesus means to be a disciple. That's what it is. There's not you follow Jesus and then it's optional. We know it's not optional. We talked about that last week. To follow Jesus means you are a disciple. It is to be a disciple. It's not optional. And so if we look at that and we understand what he's saying when it comes to following Jesus, the first thing that you and I need to, to realize and, and, and take from this is the cost. It was a cost for the rich man, the cost that he, had to, that he had to sacrifice in order to follow Jesus. And Jesus knew exactly what that was. He said, sell everything. Sell everything and follow me. You, you and I both will have a cost within our life of following Jesus. It may not be selling everything, but there's oftentimes when we are confronted with Following Jesus, there's, there's, there's things that are exposed in our life that oftentimes stand between us and following Jesus. They get exposed, that, that come front and center, that make us think, is it worth investing in discipleship? Is it worth you know, doing, going this far for Jesus? Those things will get exposed in our life. And it could be a, a matter of things, a various amount of things. It could be time. Right, do, do you really want to take the time to invest in discipleship? Do you really have the time to do it? Do you want to put in the effort to do it? You don't know how long it's going to be. It might be a week. It might be six weeks. It might be a month. It might be a couple of years. Do you want to put in the effort? And that will come front and center. Do we want to sacrifice that effort? The other thing is comforts and convenience. Right? Do we want to sacrifice our comforts? Right? Are we willing to put aside our comforts to follow Jesus? Are we willing to put aside the convenience of the life that we have and the, 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 the sort of season that we're in where it seems like everything's on autopilot right now? Are we willing to put those things aside to follow Jesus? There's a cost that you and I have as well when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being a disciple, engaging in discipleship. And whatever it is, it's going to be a cost for you. 
it might be big, it might be small, but you can bank on it that there's going to be a cost that you need to consider and you need to be ready and willing to sacrifice in order to engage in discipleship, in order to engage in being a disciple, in order to engage in being a follower of Christ, you will have to sacrifice something. And that's number one this evening is be ready to sacrifice for discipleship. Be ready to sacrifice for discipleship. Something in your life is going to have to be sacrificed. It's just a matter of what, what is it going to be? Because And typically they fall in the camps of comfort, convenience, or your personal feelings that you have to put aside and say, it doesn't matter because following Jesus and obeying what Jesus has told me is far more important. Comfort, that comes in the, in the line of us doing things that we feel comfortable with. And sometimes we got to say, hey, I got to step outside my comfort zone in order to be a disciple, in order to follow Jesus as he commanded us to do. You might be saying, what if I can't answer a question? doesn't matter. doesn't matter. God is going to provide you what you need at the right time. You need to be able to step outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes when we think about discipleship, it's like, ah, man, that's a lot to learn. That's a lot to learn. I I don't know if I'll ever get there. We need to be able to step outside of our comfort zone and trust Jesus that he will provide everything that we need. And sometimes we we look at discipleship or we look at what's in front of us going through partners or something like that, and it's like, that's going to be too hard. That's too hard for me. But we need to be able to sacrifice our feelings and our, our, our comfort of saying, I want to just be in the zone that I'm in now. I don't want to be stretched in order to be effective with discipleship. Because discipleship is designed to push us and to grow us, to be more like Christ. And as I say before, less like ourselves. More like Christ and less like ourselves. It requires us to do things that we're not used to doing. It requires us to st- step out in faith and trust, knowing that look, God's going to provide what I need when I need. And he's going to be the one to provide the growth. Right, just think about something that you're good at, something that you are uh, above average at. It might be your job. It might be a hobby. Uh, there was a point in time where you weren't as good as you are now at whatever that is. But what separated you from everybody else at that point in time was because you, you, you stepped out. You had this step of faith to say, I'm going to try something that's outside of my comfort zone. And then you were able to get better at it. Right? And then that started to separate you from the rest of the average or below average people that there are, and whatever that is. I don't know what it is in your life, but it always requires us to step outside of our comfort zone. Well, that's the same thing that happens with discipleship. When we want to grow, when we want to be sanctified, we want to be more like Christ, it requires to step out of what we're comfortable with, what we know we can do on autopilot, and do the, do the things that God is putting in front to grow us. So we must be ready to sacrifice our comfort. The next thing we must be ready to sacrifice Again, one of the common camps is convenience. Convenience. Discipleship will never be convenient for you. What? It won't be? No, it won't. It'll always come at a time where you're like, "Ah, I don't really have enough time. Or, ah, this is not the right person. Or, ah, I I wish things were, my schedule was a little bit more flexible. So it's going to require sacrifice. It's it's not, you you shouldn't bank on it being convenient. Nobody's going to walk up and you have, you know, five to six o'clock on a Thursday, Thursday afternoon available. And somebody's going to say, hey, can you disciple me? I only have between 5 and 6 o'clock on a Thursday afternoon. Does that work? It doesn't work that way. Right, we like it to work that way, but it typically doesn't work that way. You're going to have to be inconvenienced, move something aside because you see that following Jesus and getting involved in being a disciple is far more important. It's going to require a sacrifice. The last thing I put on here is the feelings, right? Comfort, convenience, and feelings. Those are typically the main three that we talk about, but your feelings. You don't feel like this is the right person for you. 
You don't feel like it should be, you should be discipled this way. You'd rather be discipled in a different way. You'd rather go through a different program. You'd rather read a different book. You, you, you're, you're feeling, you're feeling, you're feeling. Guys, our feelings don't matter. Our feelings get us in trouble. The only thing that matters is truth and what does Jesus say. Jesus calls us to be disciples, to make disciples, right, and follow him, obey what he's saying, and that's what we're called to do. And we need to aggressively pursue that. But here are six main things that I want to give you when we look at discipleship and why it's typically rejected. Six things for you. And I'll put them up here as we go. Reasons discipleship is rejected. And they're not in any particular order, so it's not an order of importance. But here they are. Number one is we don't want to submit to somebody else. One of the main reasons, once you get... Once you get aside from, I understand what discipleship is now, I understand that it's not optional, then one of the main objections that we have to discipleship is, look, I don't, I don't, especially as men, I don't want to submit to somebody else. I don't want somebody else to be telling me what to do. Right? But we think about passages like Ephesians 5.20. So Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything to God, to, the, and to God the Father, excuse me, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit yourselves to others, right? We're called to submit ourselves to others. And then he goes on further in that passage, in, in starting in verse 22, and talks about an example, wives submitting to your husbands. It, and, but he tells us in verse 21 that we need to submit to others, right? We need to be submit in submission to others. Following Christ is, you're following, excuse me, you're following Christ, not a person. Right? We need to understand that. That's the whole point. We're, we're not following a person. So when you look at it and say, oh, I don't want to submit to somebody, you're not following a person. You're following somebody that is leading you to be more like Christ. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Right? That, that, that's, what he, that's what he's calling people to follow. Follow Christ, not the person. And so we are called to be in submission to other people as they pursue Christ. And it's not about having someone that is, has this egotistical personality where it's like, hey, follow me and do what I do because I do everything right. No, when you, when you have a good leader, when you have somebody that's discipling you well, they will disciple you both through their strengths and their weaknesses. Right? They, won't be, they won't be fearful to share with you, to you, with you what doesn't work, what hasn't worked, where they've fallen short. Those things will come out when you have someone that is focused on glorifying Christ and they're discipling the right way. But that's the first reason is we don't want to submit to someone else. Here's a big one. Number two, we don't want to be held accountable. One of the reasons that we reject discipleship is we don't want to be held accountable. We don't even like that word accountability. It, it, it just makes some of us squirm. Like, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know about that accountability. I don't want to do that, right? Romans 14, 12, Paul says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. That day is going to come. We all will have to give an account to God. And so it is a good thing to be in accountability now. And guess what? Guys, you can call it whatever you want to. Accountability is not a, a word you find in the Bible. Discipleship is what you find. But you can call it accountability. You can call it, call it your prayer partner. You can call it whatever you want to call it. But the concept is there that we need to be following someone. We need to be teaching and learning from someone as they strive to be more like Christ so we can be pulled along as well to be more like Christ, more useful, more effective as Christ is building his church. My kids are obviously PKs of 
PKs. It's kind of weird, but um, they're PKs. They are pastor's kids, and it's different. I didn't grow up pastor's kids, so the pressure that they have as a kid is uh, a little bit higher than what I had. I could probably get away with stuff that they can't get away with because there's more eyes on them. And I oftentimes will ask my son in particular, the oldest one, like, how's everything going? Like, how is, uh, how's class going? How, was, how are those things going? Because I'm curious on how he's feeling about it. Because, you know, sometimes that's a lot of pressure for a little kid to realize that, you know, th- th- there's a lot of eyes on them. And so I ask him the, these questions, but oftentimes I try to remind him, hey, you know, God sees everything. And so how much of a blessing it is, how cool it is for a, a whole church body, a whole church family to know that you're a pastor's kid. And he might not be thinking that at the time because he's like, well, I know if I do one wrong thing, then it's going to get to you. Well, maybe it will, but God sees everything. And so honestly, it's a blessing to be able to have people know who you are within a church because there's some accountability there. And you know what you're not going to do? You're not going to feel like, hey, I can get away with things. No, because you, you, you feel that sense of, hey, I, I, it might get back to dad. Well, at the end of the day for all of us, that's the point of accountability is not that we are sitting here trying to, to fear being caught or whatever, but it's for us to be more like Christ. And what better way for us to be more like Christ is than to have someone checking in and say, hey, how was your week? Like, is there anything I need to be praying for? Is there anything that, 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 that you, you may have fell um, into sin with? Is there anything that you stumbled with? Those type of questions are good questions, but we don't like that because we don't like accountability. We don't like having to tell someone or somebody telling us what we should do to be more like Christ. But here's what's not effective about not having accountability. It's not effective when you try to do it on your own. It's not effective. You trying to do it on your own, guys, you have a bias to yourself. Right? If, you, if you make a mistake, then you know, it's not like you're going to call yourself out. It's not like you're going to be hard on yourself. You're going to say, ah, you know what, everybody makes mistakes. Right? Everybody does that. You'll, you'll give yourself a pass. Right? You need another brother in your life that is involved with you, that knows you, that's able to love and care for you and try to bring you to be more like Christ in everything that you do. That's what it's all about. Right? But we don't want to be held accountable, and that's the reason that we, 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 we reject it. You need other brothers. You need like-minded men to be around you. Did you get that? I, I, I'm emphasizing brothers. I'm emphasizing men. Because guess, who, guess who's not your accountability partner? Your wife. Your wife is not your accountability partner, men. I just want to be clear on that. Your wife is not your accountability partner. You need another man in your life that is your accountability partner, that is your disciple, that you're in discipleship engagement with. It cannot be your wife. Because God did not design your wife to do that. God designed your wife to submit to you as the church does to Christ. That's the role. And when you put your wife in a role of your accountability partner, then you're then usurping her and saying, hey, if I get out of line, I need you to lead me. God didn't design her that way. God did not design her to lead you. And so she should not be your accountability partner. You need another guy. You need a man that's going to be able to call you another brother in Christ that's going to love you so much that they're not, they're not afraid to tell you the things that you need to hear. Should not be our wife. But here's the third thing that we need to understand why we oftentimes reject discipleship is a lot of people don't know where to start. Don't know where to start. Right? You're like, I, I want to be involved. I want to do it, but I just don't even know how to initiate this. I don't. And that's part of why I wanted to go through, again, this series. It's like, let's talk about what it means to be a disciple. 
Let's talk about what it means to be in discipleship, relationship with another brother in Christ. And then let's talk about how we even get started. What does it look like? Let's, let's get all of that foundationally nailed down. That way, when this comes up in the future, we, we, we know, we understand. But some of us don't know where to start. A great, great way to start that we have unique to our church is a partners program. Partners program. We have it. It's a one-on-one discipleship program. Many of you in here have been through partners. But there's a handful of you in here that have not been through partners. And it's a great opportunity. And I, I even put that as one of your discussion questions for the guys that have been through partners to talk a little bit about that. Because, yeah, it does look like a daunting task when you look at it from the outside looking in. But I don't know if there's anyone in here that would say, nah, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it was a good use of time. Right? You develop a friendship that is, is tight and lifelong. I know the person that took me through it. I he will remain friends for the rest of my life because we develop that through partners. There's so much sanctification that you get of studying God's word deeply together. Partners. It's already structured out. You don't have to do any guesswork. You get somebody and, and go through it with them. It's a great way, great place to start. Another great way to start is share it. Just share it with your group. Tell your group, hey, I want to get in, I want to get involved in discipleship. I want to be discipled by somebody in here. What does that look like? And I guarantee you'll have a group leader there. You can come see me afterwards if you if you want some some practical things to do and to get started with it. We want you to be involved in discipleship. And so that's one of the other reasons we don't know where to start, but I want to eliminate that by saying. The guys around here, your leaders around here, want you to be involved in discipleship. And so they will help you do that. Number four, here's another thing that's, that gets tricky is how long is a commitment? How long is a commitment for discipleship? That sometimes is a scary thing because guys are like, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's meet up, let's chat, let's get into discipleship. And you're like, uh, for the rest of my life with you? I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Right? And so we, we, don't, we have this undefined conclusion to discipleship. It's like, is it going to be a week? Is it going to be a month? Is it going to be a year? Is it going to be 10 years? I, I don't know if I want to sign up. So then we don't sign up at all. We don't do that. As we think about discipleship, and we'll talk more about this as we get into the third and fourth session, but there should be a goal. The ultimate goal is to be more like Christ. That's the long-term goal, but there should be a goal of what, what, are, you, what are you working on? What are, what are you identifying right now that you want to be sanctified and you want to be more like Christ? You want to improve in, in your life with discipleship. It could be Bible reading, Bible study. It could be your prayer life. It could be evangelism. It could be a whole bunch of different things. What, what, what do you want to do? What are you specifically looking to do? And then, you know, what would be a good checkpoint? All right, is it 30 days? Is it six weeks? Okay, those things are, are good and they, they help us as far as achieving a goal, achieving an end point, and knowing are we on pace or not. Right? Being able to know how long the commitment is, that's another reason we reject it. Here's number five, is the feeling of being underqualified or overqualified. Underqualified or overqualified. When you think about being underqualified, one of the reasons we don't get into discipleship is we think that, hey, I can't teach anybody. What, what, what do I know? Like, I, I don't know if I'm qualified. I don't know if I'm a person that's able to do that. Or you think you're overqualified, which is, I think the first session would be probably humility would be a good place to start um, if you're thinking that. But, you know, sometimes we think, oh, I don't know who's going to be able to help me. Right? I don't know who's going to be able to help me. If you're underqualified, if you are saved, then you know the gospel. And if anything, go share the gospel with people. Go tell people about the gospel. And then you continue to learn by being disciple and then go teach other people. If you think you're overqualified, you need to, again, there needs to be some humility and understanding. Look, God can use anyone to teach you anything that he wants to be taught. 
right? Because the spirit is working within someone. Now, I get it. There's more effective relationships if somebody is mature Christian that they should probably go find somebody mature if they're looking to be sanctified, they're looking to grow. I get that part of it. But we should never think that we're above discipleship. We always need to be seeking to find someone that's going to help us be more like Christ, that's going to help us grow in our effectiveness and use for Christ. Here's the last one. Reasons we reject discipleship is because we're too comfortable. We get too comfortable. We get in a season of life where you're like, you know what? Everything's good. Everything's good right now. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm at a point of maturity in my Christianity. Uh, things are going well. I, I don't necessarily want to be stretched. I don't need to be stretched. I can still get away in conversations and seem like I'm on top of things, and I know my Bible well, and we get comfortable. But we must remember, the Christian life is not about being comfortable. Not about being comfortable. None of it. I mean, you look at the Old Testament, there was always, you look at Moses, he's always on the move, always on the move. You look at Paul, we even talked about him this week in, in main service. All right, here's somebody that just came out of a riot, and you would think that'd be a time like, whoosh, you sit down and relax for a little bit. But what was he doing? No, he was encouraging people. He was off to Macedonia. He was continuing to do God's work through being a missionary, right? He was continuing to advance the gospel because he knew that there was a mission that was at hand. There was never a point of... I need to relax. I'm sure his flesh wanted to relax a little bit after going through all that he went through. I'm sure. But knowing that we need to never rest in being comfortable. We need to never rest in being in a state of comfort. Those are, again, six things that I wanted to put out there for us to understand that, yeah, there's always something that's going to be, that's going to give us a reason why we shouldn't. There's always a reason that pops in our mind that's a fleshly and a worldly reason why we shouldn't engage into discipleship. But we need to understand this is what Jesus called us to do, and there will be a cost. There will be a cost to something. But we need to be willing and ready to sacrifice to be more like Christ. Then there's an outcome, though, that Jesus tells us back in our passage that as we get in discipleship, there's an outcome, there's a reward that's far greater than anything else we could ever imagine here on earth. And we see that back in our passage, verse 28. It says, Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and follows you. Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children of land with persecution and an age to come, an age to come, eternal life. So he's saying, look, it, it, right now, you're going to receive a lot. You're going to receive a hundredfold in this lifetime. You're going to receive co- Christian community in, along with persecution, but you're going to receive Christian community. You're going to be in fellowship. You're going to have brothers and sisters and houses, all of that stuff. You're going to have it, but you're going to also have persecution in this life. And then you're also going to receive eternal life, eternal life that no one can take away. We get that by following Jesus, and that is the reward that we get. It's a reward to following Jesus, and that is in this life we get things and then also in eternal life. As a kid, there was um, one of my favorite uh, things to do was to obviously open up presents as a kid, and, you know, you get a little overexcited and, uh, about the gifts that you receive. I mean, some of us as adults still get overexcited about the gifts that we receive, but as I was growing up as a child, I remember we, you know, you get gifts throughout the year at certain times, and there was a, a, a gift giver, my mom's a really good friend, that I felt like she gave the best gifts ever, right? She, I mean, her gifts 
far surpassed anyone else's because she didn't have kids. She thought of me as her own kid, and so she would just she would she would make a a, a nice investment towards my lifestyle and uh, as a kid. But I I always knew she was going to give me a, a really nice gift. And so when the gift time came, whether it was my birthday, whether it was Christmas, whether whatever it was, I would always look around and I'm like, where where's Adrian's gift? All right, you have a whole pile of gifts. I'm like, is Adrian's over there, or where can I find that one? And not that I didn't think all the other ones were good, but I, I just knew Adrian's gift was going to be the best. And so always, like Christmas gifts, like I, I need to get that one first, and then I'll look at everything else. But it was because her, her gift was the best one. And it was, I felt like year after year, the best gift that I, I would always get. But here's the thing, even with, with her gift, if you ask me now, I couldn't probably tell you, you know, what she got me when I was 12 years old, what she got me when I was 15. It was probably impactful during that time. It was probably the best gift that I got during that time. I couldn't tell you because it was earthly, right? Eventually, it, it, it loses its, its flash and it loses its, um, you know, its luster and, and, and type of, um, you know, zeal that it has towards it or um, attention that, that I pay towards it. It loses that. And eventually, it just fades away completely. And that's how everything in, on this earth works. But Jesus, his rewards, they don't fade away. The rewards that we get from him are eternal. He says they, 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 they're in a place where, where neither moth or rust can destroy because they're eternal. And we even get some of those blessings that are here on this earth. And I love how Peter says that. And I don't even know how Jesus felt about Peter's statement. We don't know much about it. But he said, look, we, we left everything. We left everything to follow you. And that wasn't the only time he said that. In John 6, 68, he said, Simon Peter answered to Jesus when Jesus basically gave the disciples some hard news. He said, are, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, well, where else are we going to go? You, you have the words of eternal life. You, you have everything. Where, where else are we going to go? We're with you. Paul also knew Jesus' gifts were great as well. He says this in Philippians 3, verse 7, and 9, 7 through 9. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, count them as garbage. Like Paul was a pretty decorated person uh, as a Jew, all right, as, uh, on his way to being one of the best ever. But he says he counts it all as, as garbage in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. All of us go through this value assessment with everything that we do in life. We oftentimes try to look at what we have in front of us and see, is it worth our time? Does the value of it, does it outweigh the, the investment that we're going to put forth to do it? And if we feel like it's, it's, it's worth the time, then, then we'll engage in it. But you and I need to understand the truth about discipleship, that Jesus rewards. They're always better. They're always great. They're far greater than anything else we can have. And so when we have an opportunity to do the things that Jesus is telling us to do, knowing that there are rewards from him to follow, then we need to pursue that. And we need to be all about that. And that's point number two this evening is you and I need to trust that Jesus' rewards are greater. Trust that Jesus' rewards are greater. They're always greater. Always greater, far greater than we could ever imagine. Right? They're the best thing that we can have because they're great here in this life according to God's will, and they're forever. They're eternal. And here's the thing with them. There's a guarantee return on the investment. There's a guarantee return on the investment. You, you can't say that about much. Guaranteed return 
on investment. One of my wife and I's favorite shows to watch is uh, a Shark Tank because it's just interesting to me. Um, but one of the questions that always comes up with Shark Tank is that they need to find a return on investment. They ask, how much are your sales? Like, what, what are you doing? Because I need to see that the resources that I'm going to give you, I'm going to have a return on my investment. I'm going to make my money back. They asked that there's an exchange for their money and their resources that they have to put into whomever is giving a pitch for their company right then and there. So there's a value assessment to them. And they'll make a decision, yes or no, based on that. When we think about discipleship, there, there, there's no risk there because it's guaranteed to work. It's guaranteed to have a reward. It's guaranteed to provide sanctification for you, for the person that you're involved in, and it, it provides eternal rewards. There's, it's guaranteed. Why? Because Jesus said it is. Jesus promised to always be with us. Jesus promised to, to, to build his church through following him, through discipleship. And he's with us every step of the way. Because when you take a believer and a believer and, or multiple believers and you have the spirit that's working within them, and you're reading the word of God that is produced by the spirit, God is, is certain to do a work in your life. He is certain to grow you and to sanctify you. And that's a guarantee that's going to happen every time we get involved in discipleship. It's God working. God working through us. Example of that, uh, I'm sure many of you have done this, but you, 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 you text somebody or you call somebody and you can say, hey, I was praying for you. I was praying for you. And oftentimes you'll get a response back and say, man, I needed that. I'm glad you sent that text because I, I needed to hear that. I needed that prayer. It wasn't because you just coincidentally found the right time. It's because God's working in all of that, right? God's put something on your heart to send to somebody else, to bless them, to encourage them, because God is working behind the scenes to work all things out for the good, right, according to his purpose. He's working in all of that. He's working through discipleship. We need to understand when we obey God's command, we obey what God is telling us to do. He's doing a work. He's doing good work all throughout discipleship, all throughout prayer, all throughout all the things that are done according to his will. What are some of those rewards? What do they look like in this life? Sanctification is one. Us being more like Christ. Sanctification happens in this life when we are engaged in discipleship. We also learn to trust him more. We learn to trust him more because we see time after time again that he is faithful, that he conti continues to lead us closer to him. We gain a better knowledge of him, a better knowledge and an understanding of how, how, his word and how he works. And that allows us to have more courage, have more boldness in Christ, have more boldness to go out and proclaim his name because we, we, we know who he is. We understand who he is. We understand the power of prayer. We understand the power of planting seeds through the gospel. The next life rewards look like the number one, eternal life. Eternal life. We get eternal life as a reward. That is hands down better than anything else we could ever imagine, anything else we could ever get in this life, not even close to it. Eternity with Christ, perfection with Christ, no sin ever again. We get to have that for eternity. It doesn't matter what happens in this life. That's a great reward to have. And then eternal rewards that we will have in heaven. Those are some of the rewards we get that where neither moth or rust can destroy Rewards that we'll have for the rest of eternity because of our work in obeying Christ in this life. He says a hundredfold, right? A hundredfold. 
hundredfold, way more, way, way more, way more. Nothing in this life compares, a hundredfold. I mean, when you think about a hundredfold, right? Think about, I want you to consider your salvation for a moment, right? Pre-Christ, you probably looked at Christianity, as I did, and just said, ah, man, that seems, I don't know, this seems kind of boring. Like, it's not going to fulfill me. Like, I want to have fun, right? I want, I want to do those things, right? I want, I want to live life like I want to live it. But then all of a sudden, you get saved, and you're like, I don't know how I even ever thought that. Like, there, there's nothing to this life apart from Christ, right? But it took the, your, the change of heart. It took the spirit being within you for you to understand that. Right? And that's how God works. He takes you from spiritual blindness to opening your eyes to now you see and you, you would never go back because you just wouldn't. Now that you've seen what you've seen and you've been able to experience what you've experienced in Christ, there's just no way. But prior to that miracle of your salvation happening, you would have looked at, at, at Christianity and scoffed at it. Scoffed at it. But that's how God works. Again, because of the gifts that he's able to give, the rewards that he's able to give are far beyond our imagination. Far beyond our imagination. And he has an abundance of those, both in this life and in the next life to come for eternity. But it requires us to sacrifice those things that we want to have. It, com it comes with a cost, but there is a great reward to it. The things in our life today can seem like a big deal, right? They can be hard to sacrifice sometimes. But what you and I need to understand is when we compare it to Jesus' rewards, we're really giving up a little to gain a lot. We're giving up a little to gain a lot. That's what we're doing. We're, we're giving up a little. It's big in our mind, but really, when we compare it to Jesus, we're gaining a whole lot more. Paul helps us understand that 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. When you think about that, that, that phrase of leave a little to gain a lot, here's what he says about that. For this light momentary affliction that is preparing us an internal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. It's going to be far greater, far greater. The investment of time that we have to follow Jesus, you, you can't compare it to anything else you'll do in this life. Nothing else. The question is, do we truly trust that? Do we trust that? Do we believe that the things that we do for Jesus are far better than anything else? And not just by words, but by our actions. Do our lives show that? Do our lives show an investment to Jesus because we know his, re his rewards are far greater than anything we can imagine? Because it should. Let's get into our last verse here in this section. He's summarizing this encounter with the rich man. Basically, he summarizes it all up in one little phrase. And he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. The last will be first. And so everything else that this rich man was focused on, everything that his life revolved around was his wealth, his money. And he was unable to give that up because that was a very worldly thing to do. There's a very worldly desire is to have it focused on money, just like it is today. Right? Most people want to look at the amount of money that they have and the title that they have, and that dictates who they are in this world. But news for everybody and news for the world is that's not how God's system works. God's system is actually opposite, as we talked about last week. Everything in this world is actually opposite of what, really what God would want us to do, right? God wants us to be, love others. The world wants us to love ourselves, right? Remember we went through that? 
God wants us to be meek and, and, and mild and, and gentle, and the world is saying, no, you need to be prideful. You need to show you have power. It, it's completely opposite. And the same thing is when we look at how, the, how we will be ranked in the kingdom, how we will have sort of a, an order in the kingdom. The people that are most faithful to Jesus and their, their lives resemble Jesus the most, they will be the greatest in the kingdom, right? They will be in the, high, the highest levels of the kingdom, right? The people that are humble, the people that are selfless, the people that are compassionate, right, that are faithful. They will be first. Right now in this life, they're probably last. Right? Because this world will say they're weak. This world will say they got it all wrong. They're on the wrong side of history. They're, and so a lot, of, a lot of what's happening to people that follow Jesus, just like most of us in this room, is it seems like you're on the short end of the stick a lot. But Jesus promises those that are last will be first in the kingdom. Because God doesn't value things like this world does, and we need to remember that. And we need to remember that if we think about following Jesus, the whole concept of following Jesus requires us to be a servant, requires us to have that servant mindset and have that attitude. That's the attitude we have to have is, is, is being a servant, is putting others before ourselves. As we have that along with understanding that there's a cost, understanding that there's reward, and we need to understand that we must have a servant mindset. We must put others before ourselves. Then we'll have a good grasp and we'll have some, some, some teeth and some legs behind discipleship. It will continue to go in our life because we understand those three things. That's our final point this evening is we need to, simple enough, put others before yourself. Put others before yourself. When you have this attitude of putting others and others' interests before yourself, then you'll be ready and engaged in discipleship because you'll always be thinking about how can I, how can I help someone else out? How can I come along someone else? How can I put someone else's needs above my time? How can I put someone else's desires and what they want in life? How can I put my effort aside and, and make sure it's focused on them and not myself? Because Jesus did that. Right, Jesus did that in the biggest way in Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. Matter of fact, let's turn there because I want to make sure we get our eyes on that as we think about Jesus and what he did to come down from heaven empty himself. You talk about the, the, the showcasing humility at its, at its best. It's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by being, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross, the worst death he could have. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Full authority has been given to Jesus. We talked about that last week. Full authority. Heaven and earth. Everything has been placed under Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us to do? Go make disciples. Make disciples. 
constantly be learning and teaching, learning and teaching, learning and teaching all throughout your life. There is that humility of putting others before ourselves that we must have, that attitude, that mindset as we look at discipleship. Because otherwise, if you don't have it, you'll find a way to convince yourself that your time, your efforts, everything that you're doing is far more important than investing in someone else. But when we get that right, when we get that in order, that we are to put others before ourselves, we are to love God and love our neighbors, put others before ourselves, that allows us and lends the, 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 the opening for us to invest into other people, to engage in discipleship. Right, that shows up in discipleship, putting others before yourself when you're being discipled. When you're being discipled. When you're actually being discipled and you're able to go to someone and say, hey, I'm encouraged by how you study God's word. I'm encouraged by how you pray. I'm encouraged by how you treat your wife. I'm encouraged by how you parent your children. Can you, can, can, can you teach me some of that? Teach me how you are being like Christ in this. Not teach me your ways. Teach me Christ's ways through how you're doing it in your life. Just think about how encouraging that is to someone. Right? And, and we're not in the, we, we don't need to puff people up, but as Christians, as we talk about this weekend, we have a responsibility to encourage one another, to encourage our brothers. Right? That's an encouragement to even be discipled by somebody. The person that's discipling you, I guarantee you, is going to be encouraged. Discipling someone. Again, if you're discipling someone, if you're teaching someone to be more like Christ, there is, there, there, there's, there's an, uh, an aspect of putting others before yourself that has to happen. You have to be willing to sacrifice time. You have to be willing to sacrifice the convenience of your schedule. You have to be willing to sacrifice things in order to say, hey, I want to pour into you. I want to come alongside of you to make sure that I am teaching you what Christ has taught me, what I've been discipled, to be more like Christ. The long-term goal is to be more like Christ. And just think about discipleship as a whole, right? The, the, whatever, whatever parts you play, whether you're the, the teacher or the learner, the discipleship as a whole, you need to be able to be committed. When you're committed to discipleship and you're putting others before yourself, you won't let other worldly things get in the way. You won't let small things come between you to where it starts off good and then eventually it just fades out because you're constantly putting others before yourself and you're caring for others and caring for their holiness. It's a cost, a reward, and a mindset that we need to have. It's going to come with a cost. There's going to come something that comes in between you and being all in for Christ, being all in and following Christ, being all in when it comes to discipleship. There's going to be a cost to something. It's whatever that cost is, you being ready and willing to say, I'm not going to let that get in the way. Because why? The rewards that Christ has, both in this life and the next, are far greater they're far greater than anything I can imagine in this life. And I want to pursue him and wholeheartedly pursue him because I know he is guaranteed to, to, to bless that. There's something good that's going to come out of that. There's always a reward. And then the last thing is we need to have the right attitude. The right attitude of it's not about my convenience. It's not about my comfort. It's, it's not about doing a thing or doing discipleship like I want to do it because this fits my schedule. This fits what I'm good at. This fits what I'm. We need to have that mindset of I'm willing to put others before myself. And if I have that, I understand the cost. I understand the rewards that's, that, that, that is, that's involved in that. And I understand the mindset that I need to have of putting others before ourselves. Then we will be used effectively to continue to build God's church, to, to, to build Christ's church within us, within Compass Bible Church, within Compass Men's Ministry right now, will be used effectively. 
But again, it starts off with uh, all of us taking the responsibility and saying, I got to make that happen in my life. I got to make sure that I'm teaching and learning, teaching and learning. I'm involved in discipleship. Not, well, that's for somebody else. I'll wait till he preaches a message that, that works for my life. No, it, it, it requires all of us to be resolved to say, I'm going to get involved in discipleship. Not because the pastor preached a, a series on it, but because it's what Jesus commanded us to do. And I want nothing more than to obey my Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for discipleship. It's just even the blessings that we see. I know many men in here already are involved in discipleship. They, they're active. They're going through partners. They're, they're, they're meeting with people or meeting with other brothers week after week and getting involved in their lives and getting beyond the surface. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to encourage them by allowing them to see how much they are growing in Christ, how much their disciples, the people that are around them are growing in Christ, and how much you are continuing to give us uh, rewards and give us that, that sort of that perfect return on investment that we know we will have when we obey you and follow you as you commanded us to do. Lord, I just pray that you would give us all opportunities to do that well, to be able to identify someone that we can be in a discipleship relationship with, knowing that that is how you, Christ is continuing to build his church through us, through teaching and learning teaching and learning always, all throughout our life. Lord, I pray that our church would be known, our men's ministry would be known for doing that well, that people would, would, would start to, to know, even beyond the walls of this church, that Compass Bible Church, Compass Men, are all about discipleship. They're all about putting their feelings aside, putting their comforts and their conveniences aside because they care and they love the brothers that are around them. And I pray that you would do a great work in our ministry, that you would you would bring forth uh, more evangelists. You would bring forth more people that love your word, bring forth more counselors, bring forth uh, more teachers, bring forth more missionaries, bring forth more pastors. All of those things, Lord, we know that you can do. We may not be able to see it, but we know that as your word says, with, with any, anything is possible with you. So Lord, I pray that we would get serious about this and that we would continue to pray and, and earnestly seek to be involved in discipleship and do it well. And Lord, I pray that you would bless these efforts and allow this ministry to, to, to just, uh, just showcase so much discipleship all throughout. Lord, I pray for our discussions right now. Help them to be transparent. Help them to be honest. And Lord, help us to move further or closer and closer to you and further and further away from ourselves by being involved in discipleship and obeying what you've commanded us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.